Today on Off the Cuff Declassified, disgraced former FBI director Andrew McCabe wants immunity in exchange for Senate testimony. I'm going to tell you why I think he should not get it. Turns out Barack Obama misled America on Iran more than we ever thought. Today marks the 74th anniversary of D-Day, the Normandy invasion. I'm going to read you some incredible tweets from the 82nd Airborne Division as they reenact that morning. And the Virginia State Police had what I think is probably their most unusual car chase in maybe ever. Now, it seems like every day we're getting new information about Obamagate, Spygate, call it what you will, this scandal where we now know, now, now we know that dubious things were done by the FBI, by the Department of Justice, by John Brennan's CIA against the Trump campaign. They could spin it all they want, but we know this went on. It's indisputable right now. We have a criminal referral from the Department of Justice's Office of Inspector General against former FBI number two, Andrew McCabe. We've got criminal referrals against a host of Obama administration officials, including Hillary Clinton, including James Comey by members of Congress. We might see criminal referrals on those same people or, or a few of those people when the inspector general report comes out. Although I don't have a lot of faith in that, and I'm going to be discussing that a little bit later in this segment. <clears throat> but now, the guy who I think is the worst of the worst, I've said on this show many, many times, it all comes back to Andrew McCabe, and it always comes back to Andrew McCabe. You've heard me say it. I've been proven right by, by uh, items that broke in the media shortly thereafter. I've been proven right by the fact that Andrew McCabe, as I just mentioned, has been criminally referred to the Department of Justice for prosecution, not just by the inspector general, but by a dozen plus members of Congress. He's a bad, bad guy who violated his oath, who desecrated the mission of the FBI. Well, now Andrew McCabe is asking for immunity in exchange for his Senate testimony. Testimony to the United States Senate, a Daily Caller story, but it's been all over the media. This from a... Uh, this is a statement from Michael Bromwich, McCabe's attorney. Bromwich says, quote, this is a textbook case for granting use immunity. Mr. McCabe, he wrote this letter to uh, uh, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley of Iowa. Mr. McCabe is willing to testify, but because of the criminal referral, he must be afforded suitable legal protection. Accordingly, we hereby request that the Judiciary Committee authorize a grant of use immunity to Mr. McCabe. Now, McCabe, as you remember, was fired back in March for lying, lying about leaking to the media. But really, McCabe was a bad, bad guy who had no place being in the FBI. The inspector general back then found that McCabe gave four misleading statements to investigators, three of them while under oath. Now, they're... Uh, he and Comey have also got into this back and forth over, well, uh, uh, did Comey authorize him to speak to the media? McCabe says he did. Comey says he didn't. One of the two is lying. One of the two is lying. Now, uh, Bromwich, McCabe's attorney, goes on to say, quote, even though McCabe committed no crime, which I don't believe, these leaks have forced us to acknowledge the criminal referral. He said that he and McCabe were outraged by the leaks. He's talking about leaks from what they claim are leaks from the Justice Department about McCabe's case in his letter to Grassley. He said leaks, Bromwich, the lawyer, said leaks from the agency revealed the OIG made a criminal referral on McCabe to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Mississippi. Now, here's why I don't want to see McCabe get immunity. 
Number one, I don't think he's earned immunity. It was never afforded to General Flynn. It was never afforded to George Papadopoulos. It was never offered to anyone else on the Trump campaign. People like Michael Caputo, who did nothing wrong, but were forced to go essentially bankrupt, spend six figures on legal fees. Why should McCabe get it? McCabe be given any immunity? He's a terrible, terrible guy. A terrible guy. A guy who ran this entire operation, who weaponized the FBI on behalf of Hillary. And what McCabe can do if he's granted this use immunity is he could sit in front of Congress, he can, uh, the U.S. Senate, he can say, I did it all. James Comey did nothing. Loretta Lynch did nothing. John Brennan did nothing. Here is a list of everything I did, every law I broke, every illegal order I gave. Here are the people I gave them to. They were only carrying out those orders. I even lied to those people and generated uh, uh, documents that made it look as if I got legal opinions that these orders were legal. I have those documents in my safe at home. I'll provide them to you at a later date. Then he goes home and he creates those documents, backdates them. He takes responsibility for everything and he walks away because he got immunity. He got use immunity for anything he testified to that day. And that means not only won't he be charged, no one will be charged. There's a criminal referral on this guy to DOJ. He walks in there and he confesses to everything. The DOJ is going to have an impossible time ever prosecuting him. I think Chuck Grassley would be out of his mind to give McCabe immunity for his testimony. It is a get-out-of-jail-free card for a guy like McCabe. Gangsters, mobsters have used this tactic for years, right? I have some information. And they walk in, they allocute, they confess to everything, and nothing can be done. Because they don't have a strong enough case on McCabe yet. They don't have witnesses, they don't have bodies, nobody killed anybody. I'm saying that in a metaphorical sense. But they don't have the hard evidence they need. They have it to an extent, but a lot of it's he said, she said. So McCabe walks in and he says, yes, I, I did lie to the investigators. And here's why I was covering this, this, and this up. And you try to prosecute him. And his lawyers keep it in court forever saying, oh, you can't prosecute this guy. He just, he just confessed to these things as part and parcel to his testimony. These confessions are out. The evidence is out because he presented that same evidence in the Senate hearing. It is the most dangerous crap. And McCabe is playing Chuck Grassley. He's playing the Senate. The guy's been in the FBI for 22 years. He knows how this game works. He knows how to manipulate it better than anybody. He almost was able to topple a presidency. Don't trust this guy. Give him nothing. Now, Rudy Giuliani sees this. And by the way, if McCabe is granted that limited use immunity, the fix is in. The fix is in because I have problems. I'm going to tell you my problems with Jeff Sessions in a moment, but the fix would most certainly be in. Now, <clears throat> Giuliani has not been shy about calling out Robert Mueller, and now Giuliani is going for broke. He is saying that Trump's, uh, that Mueller's team is trying to frame President Trump. Giuliani is speaking, uh, he's in Israel, he was speaking in Israel, and he said uh, this morning, actually, in Israel, that Mueller's team includes, quote, 13 highly partisan Democrats who are trying very, very hard to frame him, meaning President Trump, and get him in trouble when he hasn't done anything wrong. Giuliani is over in Tel Aviv at the Globe's Capital Market Conference. This is uh, about the toughest rhetoric I've heard from Giuliani yet, that Robert Mueller is trying to frame the president of the United States. Heard a lot from Giuliani. Haven't heard frame yet. So it begs the question in all this. Where is Jeff Sessions now? Please take those moronic, idiotic, 
5D chess conspiracy theories and throw them out the window. Oh, <clears throat> Jeff Sessions is being quiet and he's working behind the scenes with Trump and Mueller is a good guy and they're all working to take down Hillary. But we need you to think this because it's 5D chess and it's Sun Tzu. It is so dumb. I don't know where to begin. That is not what is happening. What is happening is that Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein do not want to deal with this nightmare. They want DOJ to go back to enforcing criminal law and they want this to all go away. They want it to disappear. They don't want to prosecute anybody. That's part of the deep state because they don't want to put themselves, their future careers in jeopardy. That's what this is about. There is no white hat secret meetings with Sessions and Trump and Mueller giving winks. And No, it's not happening. Those are nuts, those people floating those theories. Those are conspiracy theories. And if they're not nuts, it's just wishful thinking and naive optimism. All it is, work inside the process. I'm telling you. It, 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 let, me, let me explain to you why it is so ridiculous. If you were to believe these 4D and 5D chess theories, then you have to believe that Donald Trump uh, appointed Jeff Sessions, knowing Jeff Sessions was going to recuse and Sessions recused, so that Rosenstein would appoint Mueller, so that Mueller would investigate the entire Trump campaign, jam up General Flynn, jam up Papadopoulos, try to prosecute Manafort and Gates, indict 13 Russians that may not even be real people. So he could say, look, Russians were involved. Also, that eventually Trump could be cleared by Mueller, who never had to be appointed in the first place if Sessions hadn't recused, so that the world could say, look, the Democrats were wrong. There was no collusion with Russia. But had Sessions not recused or Trump picked an attorney general who didn't recuse, well, that wouldn't have needed to happen. And oh, by the way, the other reason the 5D chess conspiracy theorists believe this is going on is the second part of that is, and then when Mueller clears Trump, they're all going to go after Team Hillary. And that's what it's all going to be coming down. Now, the, the newest conspiracy lunacy is, oh, Cardillo, you're an idiot. Didn't you see that DOJ hired 311 new assistant U.S. attorneys? That's to bring down Obamagate. They're going to be pulling Team Hillary out of their house in the middle of the night, and they don't have enough prosecutors now. Not at all. It was a standard hiring by the Department of Justice to fill the ranks because of attrition. Prosecutors <clears throat> typically do not stay in government service that long, whether they be federal prosecutors, local prosecutors, state prosecutors, because they go out to make money. You don't make a lot of money as a government prosecutor. And once you get a few years of experience under your belt, you go out and you work for a big white collar uh, criminal law firm, or you go work for an investment banking firm on Wall Street, if you, uh, in the legal department, if you worked on those white collar cases, and you go out and you make some real money. Those 311 or 313, uh, I forget the exact number, AUSAs that are being hired, they're being hired to handle violent crime, the opioid crisis, uh, drug cases, civil liberties, civil rights cases, anti-terrorism cases, uh, a lot of them on immigration and deportation cases. No, they are not being hired as part of some 5D chess conspiracy. Not at all. People leave the Department of Justice, a new class comes in. It's like a police academy. People retire. They graduate a new police academy class to fill the ranks. Leave, they graduate a new police academy class to fill the ranks. <clears throat> That's all it is. A standard Department of Justice hiring <clears throat> to fill the ranks and replace those who were lost because of retirement or moving on to other jobs. All it is. There is no 5D chess. Mueller is not a white hat and Jeff Sessions is a white hat and Jeff Sessions and Mueller speak on encrypted phones at night and say, okay, we've got them looking in the wrong direction. We're going after Team Hillary. No, it has nothing to do with that. 
Mueller needs a scalp. Mueller is part of the deep state. Mueller and John Kerry went to St. Paul's prep school together. They've been friends for 60 plus years. They played hockey together, other sports together. Mueller is part of that D.C. establishment institution. And that is the deep state. I always tell you, it's not this dark conspiracy theory, this star chamber-like room with high back chairs and cigar smoke. No, it's nothing that sinister. It's just the same people who've worked in government together for decade upon decade upon decade. They don't like change. Donald Trump represents change. He disrupted the status quo. He cost their lobbyist friends and their lawyer friends and their consultant friends a lot of money. He disrupted, he disrupted Government Inc. by coming in as a turnaround guy, a cleanup guy like an investment bank would send in. And that's all Deep State is. Deep State is just Government Inc. It's just people who want the trains to run on the same schedule within government that they've always run on. And a new guy coming in and disrupting it and making it more efficient takes a lot of power and a lot of money out of their pockets, a lot of power out of their offices. That's all it was ever about, and Mueller is one of them. Jeff Sessions is now a pathetic embarrassment to the United States of America. I say that not as an on-air host. I say it as an American, as an American voter, as an American taxpayer. Jeff Sessions is a pathetic embarrassment. DOJ is leaderless. We have a Department of Justice that is leaderless. Jeff Sessions needs to stand on a podium and say to Chuck Grassley, Chuck, you are the legislative. I'm part of the executive. We're old colleagues from the Senate. I can't order you to do a damn thing. There's separation of powers. But as the Attorney General of the United States, I am telling you that it is in the worst interests of this nation for you to give Andrew McCabe immunity. Let us at the Justice Department do our job. Let us decide if a prosecution is warranted before you, the legislature, go offering immunity deals that would prevent us, the executive, charged with enforcing the laws from doing our job. And that is what Jeff Sessions should be doing. That is what a real, strong, effective attorney general should be doing. Sadly, we do not have one. So I think Andrew McCabe should not be given immunity. I think Giuliani is right. Mueller is trying to frame Donald Trump. And I think that it is long past time for Jeff Sessions to do the right thing and step down. Turns out the Obama administration lied to us about Iran worse than we ever thought. Now, according to the Associated Press, I'm reading from a Detroit news story, but it's the Associated Press story simply recycled. The Iran, Iran is informing the UN of its, of its uh, increase in nuclear material enrichment. They're saying that they're, doing it, uh, that they're doing it within the limits set by the 2015 agreement, the JCPOA, uh, the Iran deal. And Iran never had any intention of stopping their nuclear enrichment. Now, they're saying it's because the U.S. pulled out. Baruz Kamalvandi, the spokesman for Iran's nuclear agency, was quoted by Iranian state TV on Tuesday as saying a letter was submitted to the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, detailing the move. Iran's Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, had ordered the increase in a speech Monday in which he vowed that the country would preserve its nuclear program despite, despite the U.S. withdrawal from the landmark of 2015 accord. It wasn't a landmark. It was a terrible deal. It wasn't a landmark accord. Iran has said it as the option of resuming industrial scale enrichment now that the U.S. has withdrawn from the deal. 
where they're saying, oh, see, the U.S. is out, so we're not going to play ball. But they were never playing ball. They were always doing this. We know that from the Israeli intelligence suites. Now, of course, the Associated Press is saying, by the U.S. pulling out, now Iran can do whatever they want, but why? Why wouldn't Iran still abide by the deal? Why isn't France and Germany putting sanctions on Iran? Why isn't China? Best thing we ever did. Best thing we ever did was pull out of the deal. Now, Obama, despite knowing that Iran was a state sponsor of terror, despite it being a terrible deal, Obama was dropping billions in cash off on runways uh, via pallets, wood pallets, giving them long-term another $150 billion. And he was doing all that despite the deal, but he was actually doing something even worse that we're now finding out about. A story that broke on Fox News this morning says Obama administration allegedly gave Iran access to the U.S. financial system. It's a very interesting story. So what Iran did, according to a report generated by the Senate uh, Permanent Subcommittee on Investigation, here's what that subcommittee, run by Rob Portman of Ohio, says, quote, on February 24th, 2016, the Treasury Department issued a specific license to Bank Muscat in Oman to authorize the conversion of Iran's Omani Rials. So they, they, Iran had, uh, was holding Omani Rials, Oman's currency. So it issued a specific license to Bank Muscat in Oman to authorize the conversion of Iran's Rials to euros through any United States depository institution. Yeah, the Obama administration was allowing Iran to wash their dirty money that was being held in Omani Rials, allowing to wash it into euros via U.S. banks. Even after the specific license was issued, U.S. government officials maintained in congressional testimony that Iran would not be granted access to the U.S. financial system. But they were. Obama and his administration lied again. Now, Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, the uh, subcommittee chairman, the investigations subcommittee chairman said, quote, the Obama administration during the negotiation of the Iran deal misled the American people. They, I think they did so because they were desperate to get a deal. This was $5.7 billion in Omani Rials. They were going to let the Iranians wash the U.S. banks and convert to euros. Now, the uh, report says that Iran wanted access to that money and using the U.S. financial system to convert it, quote, was the most efficient means, even though U.S. sanctions prohibited it. So Obama never had any intention of maintaining sanctions on Iran. He was going to give them whatever they wanted. He was going to give them whatever they wanted. The deal was worthless paper. Iran was still going to get every single thing they wanted. Now, American banks, two American banks said no. And without a compliant bank, a senior State Department official said he believed Bank Muscat and Iran eventually used European banks. Now, a spokesman not a spokesman, a former official in the Obama administration, flat out lied when they denied this. And Portman and the investigation subcommittee began investigating that transaction when that former State Department official said, we couldn't get any American banks to do this, it happened. Portman said his subcommittee began investigating the transaction last summer. In an interview with an unnamed senior State Department official, the panel said, the official acknowledged the Obama administration, quote, exceeded our JCPOA commitments to JCPOA is the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with Iran, more commonly known as the Iran deal, exceeded our JCPOA commitments because there was nothing in the JCPOA that required the issuance of the specific license. In other words, the Obama administration never had to agree to this. 
Obama went out of his way to be Iran's doormat, or was he Iran's ally against the United States, against the world? I don't know. I really don't know. Now, a former Obama administration official is criticizing all this and disputing it, but they're lying. I'm going to explain why. They're saying the Treasury Department never authorized Iran to access U.S. investments or markets, conduct commercial transactions in the U.S., in U.S. dollars, or open correspondent accounts at U.S. banks. Here's what the former Obama administration Quote, this specific license cannot be described as granting access to the U.S. financial system. This specific license was in fulfillment of JCPOA commitments to give Iran access to pools of its own money held overseas. But that's in direct contradiction to the State Department official that Portman's committee spoke to who said it exceeded, the license exceeded our JCPOA commitments because there was nothing in the JCPOA that required the issuance of that specific license. Line number one, the Obama administration official was caught in. Line number two, it was aimed solely to allow the movement of Iran's own funds stranded at an Omani bank into euros at a European bank where Iran could then make use of them. Another lie, it wanted U.S. banks to assist in that transaction because if it was only about moving Omani money, uh, Iran's money from Oman into a European bank, there was no need for that money to come through a U.S. bank. I mean, the Obama administration can't even come up with good lies. A child. My 13-year-old nephew could look at this and say, well, then why would they have had to be issued a license for a U.S. bank? Why didn't Oman just send the money to Europe? Which they eventually did. No, this was absolutely Obama bending over and kissing Iran's boot. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to give you all the nukes you want. Let me be clear. You want to use our banks? Use them. Take a couple of billion. We've been horrible to you. We've been, and that was Obama. He wanted to always cut the U.S. down a size. He wanted to always weaken this nation. That's all he ever cared about doing. That's all this was ever about. Weakening the United States. Giving Iran everything. The Iran deal was always a scam. It was always a racket designed to strengthen Iran, to give them nuclear capability so that Obama and his regime could keep Israel and the rest of the world in check and have the mullahs in Iran as an ally. Obama will go down in history not only as one of the worst presidents, but one of the most disloyal and subversive presidents for U.S. interests. And this story, I mean, this story makes it impossible, and I mean impossible, to see this any other way. The Obama administration was giving Iran a license they didn't have to give them. They essentially were lifting sanctions for no reason, and they were helping Iran free up another $5.7 billion knowing Iran was a global state sponsor of terror. What do you make of that when you analyze it simply? Where were Obama's loyalties? What did Obama really want? Why was he emboldening Iran to this degree? These are all questions that need to be answered, but unfortunately, I fear they never will be. Today, June 6th, 2018, marks the 74th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy, of D-Day. And, you know, really interesting ways in which people commemorate D-Day. Every year I put out a tweet, I put out some photos. But the 82nd Airborne Division, the United States Army's historic 82nd Airborne Division, really took it all to a different level today. 
The 82nd Airborne Division tweeted late yesterday, about 7 uh, uh, p.m. yesterday, hashtag AA All-American uh, Airborne AAD D-Day reenactment. We're in it, folks. This is our D-Day reenactment. For the next 17 hours, we'll bring you in, as it happened, play-by-play of the division's actions during D-Day. Follow along, ask questions, comments. We're, gonna, we're typing this as we go because we want to interact with you. And what the 82nd Airborne did here is outstanding. If you have not read it, I strongly urge you to go to their Twitter feed at 82ND82ABNDIV. 82ND-ABN-D-I-V. The, uh, their uh, Twitter name, their profile name is All American Division. It's a verified profile. You know it's the 82nd Airborne. And they go through uh, the 82nd Airborne's role Literally, in some cases, minute by minute, hour by hour, that morning, 74 years ago, it is absolutely fascinating. I cannot get off their timeline. I'm reading it over and over again. And some of the historical takeaways, they say we start at Royal Air Force North Witham Airfield in Lincolnshire. They put up a picture of it. The first group of paratroopers from the 82nd Airborne Division and the 101st, the Pathfinders, were staged and prepared to don parachutes and equipment and load C-47s. I mean, it's so incredible. The history and some of the things you learn, things I didn't realize, is they dropped hundreds of what were called Rupert dummies. These were canvas bags sewn to look like men. They were much smaller than a man, but from the air, falling from parachutes, it looked like hundreds more soldiers were landing. It, in some cases, it looked like thousands more under the cover of night to fool the Germans into believing that the invasion force was larger than it was and also to get them to turn their guns onto the dummies so that the actual soldiers could hit them on the flank. I mean, it was really, really fascinating stuff. They then show you the string of bombers on the runways at uh, Lincolnshire uh, Air Force Base and other Air Force bases in Britain. The division's pathfire, 8.04 p.m., the division's pathfire teams began to don parachutes, strap on weapons, equipment, radios, and lights. They would be the first All-Americans to land in Normandy. So these were the Pathfinders. This was the tip of the spear of the 82nd Airborne Division. They then uh, talk about how they encountered some things they never expected. When they got into Normandy, when they finally landed, when they got off, when they cleared uh, uh, through German gunfire, the hedgerows, the thorn bushes and hedgerows were essentially like brick walls. They were so thick and impassable that they had to spend their time clearing those. And... Uh, this timeline goes on and on and on. 10.15 p.m., German forces in and around Normandy intercept messages from the Allies regarding the impending Allied invasion. Most German leaders felt this was inaccurate and they ignored it. That's pretty fascinating. Pretty fascinating. Now they go into talking about all the gliders. You know that during D-Day, we actually landed gliders. They just stayed there and our troops got out of the gliders. It was, uh, they show us the different weapons used. The, uh, they had the 75 millimeter howitzer There could be airdropped. It was in pieces. And they say it took four hours to put together a 75 millimeter howitzer and put it into action after recovering it from the drop zone. It's, uh, when you think it was 74 years ago and some of the technology was pretty, pretty damn impressive. A total of 437 troopers would let load a total of 52 gliders. This was Mission Detroit. 
It was the only element of gliders that would land in D-Day on the morning of June 6th, 1944. The, they say, remember, our 325th glider regiment would not go in until D-Day plus one for Mission Galveston, meaning the next day. They didn't go in until the morning of June 7th, 1944. And if you see, I'm glancing at the screen. I mean, this is like watching a movie. The photos are just absolutely incredible. And go on and on and on and on. And it is really absolutely fascinating. And then the people that are commenting on this are people saying, you know, my grandfather was in 325th Glider Regiment. Really just absolutely fascinating. And the takeaway for me as I read this is we need to get America back to this. We need America to become this patriotic again. We need America to become this, have this desire to win. Now, the right does. The right does. Now, they also talk about radios. The division headquarters gets only one of three SCR-193 radios operational. We never got the other two working. So their command HQ had one radio for the Normandy invasion. Then they talk about the Rupert dummies. Hundreds were dropped. Not many sure how, how, not sure how many. The doll was made from cloth and filled with sand. They go on to talk about John Steele. Uh, an American uh, uh, paratrooper who was hanging from a church rooftop. His parachute got stuck, and he played dead for most of the morning. He was then taken into German hands. He was a prisoner of war. He died in 1969. They dropped thousands of Rupert dummy paratroopers that looked like men, but they were packed with explosives. They were bombs. And they say that if you've ever seen the old movie, The Longest Day, the depiction of the Rupert dummy in that movie was pretty accurate. The Germans, they write this. The Germans were just as confused. Our boys created chaos. They cut German comms wires and moved quickly in pairs, creating the impressions of, impression of larger forces. And it was just uh, such a chaotic battle. I really suggest you go to this timeline. The photos of the hedgerows are really what struck me as to how impassable these were. You hear about hedgerows, you think they're little tiny things. These aren't. These are... 25 feet tall, and they're essentially so thick with thorn bushes interweaving that it would have made it impossible to get through. So they spent a good part of their days just cutting these down. Cutting these down. Someone asked us about Mission Boston. Here's a little historic trivia for you. Mission Boston was the entire Force A. Force B, so Force A was the parachute drop. Force B was the gliders. And Force C were the seaborne elements that came into Utah Beach. Don't be confused by Mission Albany. That was the 101st Airborne Division. So the 82nd and the 101st both had these massive, massive operations. 82nd with Mission Boston, 101st with Mission Albany that included airdrops, gliders, and sea forces. All those famous photos you see of these people, these troops coming off the landing craft. And then there are maps of the battle. It's, it's really, really fascinating. And I, I strongly strongly encourage you to go to the 82nd Airborne Division's Twitter timeline at 82ND, at 82ND, ABNDIV. But really, why June 6, 1944, 74 years ago today, was so important is that it was really the day that began the end of Nazi Germany. This was the end of Adolf Hitler's reign. This was the end of the Third Reich. This was the beginning of the end of the SS and the brutal death camps, the extermination camps, obviously, uh, uh, Treblinka and Buchenwald and Auschwitz 
all of the places that were responsible for the Holocaust. This day, 74 years ago, marked the end of all of that. It marked the beginning of the liberation of Europe, of the world, of the, those Jewish people and the, the Christians and gays even that were brought into these concentration camps. It was, uh, it, America was really, really great then. And America was proud to be great. And for eight years under Obama, we weren't so proud anymore. I think that's part of why I'm such a big Trump fan is because we're proud to be Americans again. We're proud to be great again. We're proud to be winners again. D-Day, we were winners. We were winners. And we hadn't felt like winners for so many years. Democrats and globalists and neocons. They've just beaten down our national psyche. And you go back, you go back uh, to this time and our generals wanted to win and we're seeing that again. Here's a letter that Ike wrote on July 5th. He drafted this speech in the event that the D-Day invasion failed. He did magnificently. He would have written, he would have had to say, quote, my decision to attack at this time and place was based on the best information available. The troops did all that bravery and all devotion to duty could do. The troops did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. But he didn't have to give that speech, did he? No, he wanted a president of the United States for this incredibly successful invasion. They said when daybreak, it is, daybreaks, it is cold, gray, and rainy. The sun begins to come up over Normandy. Who signed up for this? I can't believe we still have seven hours of this left. Among those injured in the parachute landing was Lieutenant Colonel Ben Vandevoort, commander of the 2nd 505th who started gathering his troops for movement to San Mariglaze despite a broken ankle. And he was played by John Wayne in The Longest Day. That colonel was. It, uh, it's really fascinating just reading all this history. And I, and, I, and I love that America is getting back to this. I'm, I love that America is getting back to this. And I think we need to keep down this path. We need to keep America great. But we really, I, I often say, we need to get back into a World War II era mindset. Because once we get back into a World War II era mindset, this country, this country recognizes its exceptionalism again. And I really, really encourage you, go to the 82nd Airborne Division's Twitter feed, read all about the Normandy invasion, and then just put that, patriot, that patriotism in perspective and apply it today. Virginia State Troopers were in a car chase that they're going to be talking about probably forever. If you haven't seen this video, it's absolutely fascinating. This happened right outside Richmond, Virginia, where a soldier now known to be a lieutenant in the Army National Guard, Virginia Army National Guard, his name hasn't been released, but he's been arrested. He surrendered to police around 9.40 p.m. Took Virginia State Police on a high-speed car chase, but it really wasn't a car that he was driving. He was driving an M577 armored vehicle. And uh, it's a command post. It's built on the M113. And it's a, uh, um, like a mobile command post. It's impervious. It's slightly armored, impervious to small arms fire. High speed was about 40 miles per hour. And you can see the Virginia State Police giving this thing a wide berth <clears throat> in the video, which is probably a really good idea. Uh, but uh, they say the soldier was from Fort Plick, uh, Pickett in Blackstone, Virginia. He then drove this thing at 40 miles an hour, being pursued by the Virginia State Police and eventually Richmond city of Richmond PD, and uh, he drove it into the city of Richmond. And like I said, around 9.40 p.m., he just pulled over and gave himself up. Now, he's an officer 
assigned to an engineering battalion. He holds the rank of lieutenant. We don't know anything else about the guy. But geez. So now this is an older piece of equipment. Uh, equipment like this is being phased out for the regular army. It's been in use since about the Vietnam War, which is typically the kind of equipment that, <clears throat> excuse me, National Guard troops get from uh, WVTR, the CBS affiliate in the area. He surrendered. The vehicle stopped at East Broad Street and 11th Street in the city of uh, Richmond. He surrendered to the Virginia, Virginia State Police when he pulled this armored personnel carrier over. Now, it's important to note, this was not an armed vehicle. The vehicle didn't have any guns on it, has no cannons, guns, anything like that. So short of him driving this vehicle, which weighs 11.6 tons, but 40 miles an hour is pretty fast, there was never any other risk to the public of him firing uh, uh, any kind of weapon, heavier weapon, light weapon, anything like that. Again, they say he lives in the area. Uh, he's a commander with an engineering battalion. And uh, the Army has confirmed it was an M577, the National Guard. People who saw this, I mean, the, the tweets are actually pretty funny, but the witness who saw it said, quote, a guy named Brian Winger, who lives in the area, it just seemed like something out of a movie. I heard a large vehicle. It sounded like a tank, but it was moving pretty fast. Now, charges are pending against the driver while the investigation continues. He's going to probably lose his commission, be booted out of the Army, and I'm sure charged criminally for this. Why he would do this is anybody's guess. This is absolutely bizarre. Uh, <laughs> It's interesting. I wish I had chased an armored personnel carrier and I was a cop. I didn't. The most unusual call I ever had, nonviolent call, was a horse got loose in the Bronx on the Grand Concourse. It was very busy. A lot of the cops I worked with grew up in the city. And I had actually, I was familiar with horses. I always rode. I have a horse now. And was able to eventually calm the horse down, get him out of traffic uh, with some food, get his bridle, get him back in the horse carrier, me and the driver of the horse carrier. But uh, yeah, that was about the most unusual nonviolent crime call I had. And police work, particularly for state troopers, is often hours and hours of boredom. State troopers patrolling these rural roads and pulling people over. And it's hours and hours of boredom some nights. And then you get that moment of excitement. Sometimes a moment of terror. Sometimes a moment of sadness. This was a moment of excitement and probably a what the mm, moment. And believe me, these cops are going to be out drinking these troopers, laughing about this for a long time to come. Now, we can laugh about it because nobody got hurt. But this was nearly a 12-ton, a 24,000-pound vehicle traveling at 40 miles an hour. That's a lot of kinetic energy right there. Thank God this thing didn't hit a home, hit a vehicle. It would have killed anybody it came in contact with. Had it hit a vehicle, it would have crushed the occupants. Airbags wouldn't have mattered with a vehicle like this. Had it crashed into a home or an open business, we'd have seen many, many casualties, most likely uh, serious injuries, fatalities. So we could joke about it now that everybody was okay. Great job by the Virginia State Police, local police in Richmond, <clears throat> for giving this thing a wide berth and getting the guy to slow down, pull over, and surrender. Uh, but, you know, I wish I had been able to chase an armored vehicle. I think it would have been, providing it ended like this with no injuries, would have been a lot of fun and a good war story to tell for a lot of years.